you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Win Win Podcast. Today's guest is Jessica, or Jess and Selmi, VP of Marketing at a very prominent startup called The Sill. She has a super interesting career with over 13 years of experience in innovation and retail and CPG companies, and now she's at a plant startup. Jess started out in PR and pivoted into innovation after five years, which I always find really relevant and interesting to our organization and our mission, which is all about getting more people into this industry, but ensuring that they take leadership positions in their companies too. So we dive into all of that. On the podcast, we have people from small brands and large brands and consultancies. And, you know, job titles can be a very funny thing, especially as in the startup world, your title could be operations and you're really innovating across supply chain and organizational design and business model revenues. But then your title could be operations at a Fortune 500 company. And really your goal or objective is not to build anything novel or new, but really just optimize the existing infrastructures. And so I love today's conversation with Jess because she has done corporate innovation and has now ended up with a marketing title, but her role at The Sill has changed and grown and she's done so many different things and I really do think she encompasses innovation. Before I hand it off to the episode, we do talk about this, but I also urge you to check out Jess's LinkedIn because I think she does an incredible job of really quantifying and articulating her work and contributions throughout her roles and her background, which is a big struggle for a lot of people in this industry specifically, but also women as a whole have a more difficult time articulating their successes. Overall, you hear it in this podcast, but she gets straight to it, gives us the insight, and it's super, super helpful and educational. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to the episode with Jess. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. You have worked at some of the most popular and the most lovable consumer brands throughout your career ultimately landing at The Sill, a company for the modern-day plant lover. The first five years of your career were really PR and marketing-focused, and then you pivoted to become an associate brand manager at Dunkin', formerly Dunkin' Donuts, working on savory innovation. And, you know, most women struggle with getting that first innovation role, as well as, of course, becoming a leader in the industry and becoming more senior. But what enabled you to make that pivot into innovation initially? That's a great question persistence. I was interviewing at Duncan for quite some time, really interested in making the pivot from public relations, which I was doing prior for clients like General Mills and Jiffy Lube. So I identified Duncan as an ideal brand for me, given the mix between food and franchise, and really did have to sell myself pretty hard to Duncan in terms of taking that career pivot. I think what paid off was a lot of research on the industry, spending a lot of time in Dunkin' restaurants before interviewing for the job and really coming with 
a comprehensive knowledge of the menu and a vision for where I would take the category that I would be owning. And so I think that requires a lot of self-awareness. You know, when I mentor women, I always tell them, you know, put yourself in the recruiter's shoe. If you printed out your resume and the job description, put in green what you think is, you know, you obviously have done and can show and put in red what they might see as a gap. On your kind of experience, were you able to identify what your gaps were? And what would you say, you know, from from that quote unquote recruiter perspective, do you think they were at the time? That's a great question. I'll answer it in a slightly different way. I actually played to my strengths during the interview process, saying that my experience in public relations is really what would make me successful in innovation role, especially one where you had to be pitching new product concepts to groups of franchisees Mm. and convincing them to essentially divert advertising dollars from proven national menu items to unproven test items. So I leaned into the fact that, yes, I did not have restaurant industry experience. I had food industry experience on the CPG side from working with General Mills, but really leaned into the fact that the communication and persuasion skills that PR teaches you and the ability to multitask is what would have made me successful in the industry and in the restaurant space. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It really is all about framing. I mean, to the people who have tuned into this podcast probably more than once, they know that I've made the pivots from anything from luxury fashion into once interning at the district attorney's office in New York and now, you know, being in financial services. So I I completely agree. It's, It's often a positioning game. But I guess with that, knowing that there is no quote unquote innovation bachelor's degree or master's degree right now. Do you think there is some sort of education path that makes somebody more optimized for a career in innovation? It's a great question. I think any functional experience or expertise really can be parlayed into innovation. And from a lot of innovation conferences I've been to, actually, they've cautioned people from getting pigeonholed in the innovation space and making sure to take various roles throughout an organization because Innovation really does touch everything from operations to product to marketing, pricing and analytics. So my advice would be to someone who's interested in going into innovation, don't fret about that being your first, second, or even third role. I think it makes you a lot more attractive for innovation roles, especially at larger companies, if you demonstrate functional expertise. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. I mean, you you have pivoted and, and switched roles throughout your career. And ultimately, like we said, you ended up at the sill. When you were making that move, was there a question in your mind, oh, I'm going from food to plants? Or was was the, you know, linearity very clear to you? It definitely was a leap. For me, it was about trying an industry outside of food and beverage and also going from traditionally brick and mortar businesses to trying my hand at e-commerce. So There was a lot of excitement, a lot of unknowns, a lot of risks, but I think there's that with any career transition and it's, it's been a great two year ride. As you've gone throughout your career, you, to me, one of the things that stood out is your mastery of being able to really thrive and grow, excuse the pun, wherever (laughs) it is that you are. And at your time, for example, at Duncan, you ended up being a chief of staff to the Duncan Donuts CMO, taking aside kind of like the career trajectory aspect of it, a big part of innovation, as you even briefly mentioned, is is really getting that buy-in and making sure that leadership is on board with innovation, um, whether it's through 
the ways that you've been able to navigate these organization or in your time at the SIL today. What is your key to getting leadership buy-in and what role do you think it plays in innovation? I think it really comes down to storytelling, but not in the fluffy sense, in the sense that you Mm -hmm. have to know your audience. When you are presenting information, data, customer insights, really tailoring it to why it matters to that group and being comfortable doing that in six, seven, eight different ways and slicing and dicing it whichever way is needed to really get that information across to the target, the target customer, the target internal group that you're trying to communicate to. I think it's really important. And I always try before sharing out critical information to think, okay, who is my audience? What is going to resonate most with them? And how can I lead with those few points that will either really solve for a problem that they're having, capture their attention with a key stat that might shock them or surprise them, and then really motivate them to action. Yeah, and I think data plays such an important part in this industry as well as in every other industry. But I do think oftentimes KPIs are very difficult to measure in innovation because so many innovative products or initiatives or research and development just never sees the light of day. Um, And you really have walked that line of commercial success and innovation throughout your career. So what do you attribute that ability to and how do you recommend you create KPIs when there aren't clear metrics in place for something new and innovative? All the successes you see on my resume or on LinkedIn, for each one of those, there's many, many, many more failures. So I think the main KPI from an innovation team perspective is one, just quantity of ideas and testing, right? Because the output, the higher top of funnel output of ideas that you have or vetting as it moves through commercialization or testing in store And ultimately what you get to with the one, two, three kind of blockbuster hits, that's obviously a very wide funnel that narrows pretty quickly. So the KPIs we tracked were really products ideated, products concept screened, bringing to consumers in terms of are they interested in this item before we begin developing it and doing some price elasticity testing around that. And then from there, really the the KPIs translate into more traditional business metrics in terms of units sold during test, volume, etc. And do you think you had to kind of train your organization to really be open to seeing that quote unquote failure as actually successful. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you have a hundred ideas that your team puts out every month, my guess is only maybe one of them is going to make it. And somebody could say that's a 1% success rate. How do you really cultivate that culture of saying, no, 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 this is actually a really good thing? I think it comes from the top down. And I had a great boss at Duncan, Dan Wheeler, who really made sure to measure success of a test based on how thorough we were in terms of setting a hypothesis and how rigorous we were and kind of seeing it through and analyzing the results. So it wasn't necessarily about the outcome because actually one of my favorite projects at Duncan that I led was approximately a 500 store test of nitro coffee that ultimately the brand did not launch nationally. But the rigor that went into testing this, making the recommendation in terms of why it shouldn't move forward, I was able to feel pride in at the end of the day because it saved the company a lot of capital intensive investments for maybe what would have been a fad. 
Now, this was a couple of years ago. I can't claim to know if Dunkin' rolled out Nitro coffee in some of their newer format stores. I think they did. But when we tested it at scale, that was one that, you know, we invested a lot of time and resources in. It didn't move forward. But I viewed and I, I candidly think the rest of the leadership team viewed as a success because we vetted it 100 percent. Yeah. And I mean, now that you've moved into a company that's so much smaller, right, the sill, you know, resources becomes a question. And a lot of the times when people say, oh, there's no innovation in my company or in my role, because we don't have the resources of a Citibank or a Duncan or a Panera or, you know, name any one of these big companies here. You know, now that you are at a much smaller brand in this leadership position, how are you bringing that mindset into the cell? It's very interesting because I'm not actually in an innovation role traditionally at the sale. I'm VP of marketing, but because it is such a small company, innovation touches everything we do. So I've been trying as of late with my team to apply some of the agile principles of product development that we used at Panera and Duncan into the marketing landscape. So for example, we have a couple of different ideas right now of what we want to implement to drive organic traffic. We're trying to turn it into six weeks, eight weeks sprints, seeing where we stand at the end of that benchmark and ultimately building a playbook of levers that we can pull later down the line to augment our core brand plans, the marketing calendar, et cetera. So I'm able to borrow from that skill set, and also everyone in the company is innovating every day. It feels like seven different companies since I started two years ago. So it's honestly just embedded in the culture where I don't even think of it necessarily as a separate piece of my work. It's more a core piece of my job. I think that's so accurate, especially because a lot of the times, again, people feel like they need the permission to innovate, whether that's a large or at a small company, to have that quote unquote innovation title. But that being said, I mean, of course, as your company grows and it scales, do you see innovation as a core function of any company really in that functional sense? Or do you hope to carry that mindset and and see where that takes you? I think it's important that the organization maintains that mindset, but I could see the SIL getting to a point where innovation or product development kind of has its own function. So I managed merchandising for my first year at the SIL, which was also product development. We now have a head merchandiser. She's she's excellent, and she's really managing that product development process, but she's also responsible for driving core sales at the end of the day. So it's part of her job. It's not her full job, but she is mapping that product roadmap, and I think over time I could see her team in particular growing. And now that you've kind of stepped away from having that role be in in your job description as somebody else is handling it, how do you see marketing really be involved with the more functional aspects of innovation in your company, which is that product development? It's more about innovation in terms of testing different channels or different ways to bring the message to life, either about a core product or a new product launch. So, for example, we rely heavily on paid search and social, but as everyone knows, with the iOS 15 changes that have come down the pike, everyone's needing to diversify. Advertising costs are at an all-time high, so have been working very closely with our director of lifecycle marketing to figure out, okay, what's next for the sale? 
what channel is next. We actually have been streaming on Hulu for the last couple of weeks, um, testing into that platform. So it's a little bit of that. And then it's also a little bit of message testing in that the SIL unveiled a new brand essence earlier this year around biophilic design which is very interesting and in line with our mantra of plants make people happy, but it's a bit more elevated, especially as the category has gotten more saturated. We're really viewing ourselves as more than a plant brand and trying to message the benefits of plants and the wellness around plants as a way to mitigate the modern condition. You've brought up this idea of saturation both on the marketing space of things and then you know saturation in your in your specific industry i think let's start with a ladder why do you think plants are really having a moment pandemic plants are a thing i believe it's tied to the fact that plant care really is self-care in that plants purify the air we breathe it's been proven that the presence of plants helps reduce stress and anxiety levels which the last two years have been at an all-time high I think plants are something that, yes, they're in vogue right now, but they never have and never will go out of style. And it's something that the SIL and our founder, Eliza Blank, really did pave the path for. Our direct-to-consumer plant industry really didn't exist before she founded the SIL in 2012 and bootstrapped it until she eventually um, raised capital a couple years ago. So I really think what Eliza was ahead of the curve on is seeing plants beyond a commodity product and recognizing that the garden category needed a strong consumer-facing brand to really break through and resonate with the next generation of plant parents. And I think a lot of the times when people are raising capital or are growing a company, technology comes up because people you know, really associate technology with growth for many obvious reasons. At the core of what you do is actually bringing people, again, forgive the puns, but really down to earth and really to, to get them to turn off and interact with the, the nature that they can bring to their house. Do you see a role, you know, for technology in this product or innovation for your company and what you're trying to do? Absolutely. So we have seven retail locations right now. We're about to open an eighth in a couple of weeks in Boston. And we've been talking a lot about how to bring that experience of the retail store online and vice versa. So as omni-channel shopping becomes more and more prevalent and customers are, yes, shopping online, but looking to go in store for that real life experience, how can technology augment that versus take away from that? One very tangible example at the beginning of the pandemic is we include plant care cards in each shipment that we send. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we took a look at consumer behavior and traffic to our site in terms of mobile versus iPad versus desktop and realized we should really convert this plant care information into a digital plant care library, which we did. And we're constantly looking for ways to modernize the whole garden experience. And do you think with the amount of technology that is being launched every day and kind of trending, you know, have you come up with your own sort of framework as far as what makes it onto your roadmap, both in terms of marketing, as well as, you know, thinking about the product and the future of the company as a whole? And again, doesn't have to be specific to technology only. For us, it always comes down to product market fit. We did a big consumer insight study at the beginning of the year to try to suss out exactly what you're asking in your question. Do customers want to see a broader assortment from us? Do they want more techno 
technology-driven options, like the ability, let's say, to track their package in a different way. So we constantly are trying to weigh and rank stack customer needs with our own internal roadmap cross-functionally across the whole organization. And then do you try to go out and speak to consumers to figure that out? Or do you have any sort of hacks that you wanted to share as far as really getting inside the heads of consumers? Our retail team is wonderful at sharing insights that they're hearing from being boots on the ground with customers every Mm -hmm. day. We definitely have work to do to formalize what that feedback loop looks like. I would say that's number one. Number two, we have a pretty robust NPS program and a significant percent of customers who do give us an NPS score leave commentary. So we go through that monthly at a company-wide level, and that's really funneling back into, okay, operations, this is something we need to work on. Marketing, this is something you need to take. So I would say we are just in the infancy of what we can truly unlock Mm. in this way. Last, Last thing, actually, I will mention, and I think the SIL was really on the forefront with, is we have a Facebook group called the Plant Parent Club. It's a community of really, really passionate houseplant owners, and they're constantly sharing photos with each other, commenting on how to care for this rare plant or specialty plant. And our community manager is monitoring that and feeding those insights to our product development group. Yeah, I think community, I mean, both as a buzzword, but also as you know, a sub function or a partner function of innovation is is growing more and more. I mean, we're seeing it on the SaaS level. We're even seeing it, you know, within financial services. Very fun fact, but the most popular types of influencers on TikTok are financial influencers. Mm. And I think I always have found that so funny because before I worked in financial services, I'm like, who cares about this stuff, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to see how I think community is becoming more and more central to supporting and enabling innovation. On that note, I think about the fact that, you know, switching into the startup space that comes with so many of its own challenges, but a challenge that's really specific to women is, you know, the narratives around women founders or women leaders in, you know, startups, especially as well as as companies. I mean, we've seen media article after media article discussing that. Was that something you considered when moving into the startup space? And, you know, what has it been like having such a strong female founder at the forefront of your company now? Eliza, our founder, was one of the reasons I wanted to join the SIL from Our first conversation, I could tell this was someone I could really learn from who had a really, really clear vision for where she wanted to take the brand and the category. I didn't hesitate. It was a major selling point for me. And she's been a phenomenal manager. And I've I've certainly learned a great deal from her over the Mm -hmm. last two years. Um, I think she's incredible. And I, I honestly can't say enough positive things about how she runs the organization and our team. And I think the SIL is very well positioned for continued growth with under her leadership. And it's super exciting to see. I mean, obviously, you're a woman leader in the company, as is your founder. You mentioned the head of merchandising and the product is also a woman. How has it been being surrounded by all these strong women leaders? What, what impact would you say has that had on the operations of the company or the ability to innovate within the company? I think at the sale, it's been critical because our employee base really is a big 
portion of our customer demographics. So we feel very connected to the brand mission, the product. We can see ourselves in the customer personas that we created coming out of consumer research. Now that can always be dangerous and can lead to internal bias, but we have five very distinct personas that I think everyone at the org really, really can, again, relate to. So I think Mm -hmm. that's been a grounding force for us. I don't feel that gender has ever held me back in my career. In fact, it's been a differentiator in the innovation space because innovation, I would say, at least in the food industry, would skew slightly more male. And I would say that's because the chefs that we work with tend to be male. The restaurant industry is more heavily dominated by males. So it's it's always been an interesting counterbalance for me to bring that perspective of maybe what I would want to see on the menu at Dunkin' to a team of chefs who would not be the target demographic. But it's always been an environment of mutual respect and collaboration in all the innovation roles that I've had. And I think it's been almost an advantage to be able to be the one, even when I was in the minority in the room, let's say, to bring that alternate perspective. So I guess before I ask the last question of our podcast, something I wanted to talk about is, again, growth. Um, you know, we've spoken about the ways that you've risen in your previous roles. And, and now that you're in a much smaller company, how do you think about growth within that company? And, you know, we have a lot of women that come on and talk about creating their own job descriptions. As, as you consider your growth within the SIL, how have you approached that on the macro level? This is perfect timing that we're speaking because I was just asked to take on a significant new initiative and project that is changing the scope of my role a bit. So I view it as ever evolving, um, just as the company is changing. I, the team, when I joined the SIL, was about five people in marketing. It's about 11 now. So scope, areas of responsibility really has changed pretty regularly. And it's something I welcome. And it's probably something that my innovation background has prepared me well for being able to be nimble and have experience in a lot of different areas. Maybe one would say jack of all trades, master of none, but at a startup, (laughs) that is certainly uh, a valuable skill set to have. And, you know, like taking this project that you mentioned, was that something that you continuously communicated wanting to take on this new scope or general other scope? Or do you think it's just something that is the nature of the startup game? Nature of the startup game, 100%. Our CEO communicated to me actually as my next tour of duty. Oh, wow. (laughs) Very, very fancy. Well, thank you so, so much for all the insights that you shared. Before I do let you go, I'd love to ask one last innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? One month from now, we will be in the thick of holiday season, coordinating the shipment of plants across the country for hundreds of thousands of customers. That will be very exciting. In one year, I believe we will continue to increase our omni-channel presence and really encourage that omni-channel behavior with our customers, especially as we open our eighth store in Boston in a couple of weeks. And I think that's something we probably will start to see from more and more brands in the space. In 10 years, I think people's passion for plants will have solidified even further into the fabric of American society. Hopefully, we don't find ourselves in a resurgence of a pandemic to really have them 
take off, but I think we will see a lot of technological innovation in the space. It probably will evolve to beyond, I should say, indoor house plants to more what we're starting to see boom now, indoor gardening and people growing their own food. I, I am interested to see the impact that that has on the indoor house plant space. And what about you? In a month, I see myself fully pushing forward the SILS mission into getting plants on everyone's SIL for the <laughs> holiday season. In one year, I see myself continuing to take on whatever new challenges come my way, be it a new project at the SIL, be it a new next step on my journey. It's really hard to say. And in 10 years, I do see myself back a more innovation role, um, a more marketing innovation role at a mid-sized company, I would say. I've done large. I've done small. I'd like to kind of give everything a try. I don't have a great answer. It's, it's interesting because me landing at the sill was the culmination of what I had been working towards. And now I need to figure out what's next. Yeah, and it's such an exciting and evolving journey. And who knows what new industries will even be around in 10 years, right? So exactly. Very, very excited to keep watching you on your journey. Thank you for coming on and sharing so many insights. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And it was great meeting you a year ago on a virtual workshop um, for the SIL. Yes. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win women and innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenandinnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.